Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and we're continuing our series on Colorado's cannabis industry with a visit to the bakery. I'm going to be talking with Hope Frum, the corporate executive chef at Love's Oven in Denver, which produces all sorts of THC-infused confections. We spend a lot of time discussing what goes into developing a recipe for pot brownies or pot cookies or even pot baklava bites, which, yes, they do make those. Uh, For those who want to know more about the minutia of the actual baking, I have kind of some bad news and some good news. The bad news is that this episode doesn't really cover a lot of that. It's not really so much about life in the kitchen itself. But the good news is that next week's episode is all about life in the kitchen. Um, It's going to feature one of the bakers who works under Hope. So I hope you enjoy. This is kind of part one of a two-parter. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Hope Fromm, and I am the corporate executive chef for Love's Oven. And as the corporate executive chef, does that mean you're the one who comes up with the recipes, or or what exactly are the responsibilities? Yeah, so I am in charge of research and development, new recipes, new product lines, out-of-state expansion, and all the fun stuff that comes with it. And so what do you spend most of your day doing? Typically? Typically, or, you know, we're talking yeah. at the end of the day, we're, what, what were you up to today? <laughs> oh, today hit the ground running, woke up, went to my office and started looking at test results to make sure everything passed and everything's good to go and take a look at the spreadsheets to make sure those are perfect. And then I'll be able to start the rest of the day and start my drinking my coffee. But typically, I'm just making sure that the flagship is running uh, or going as best as it can be before I get into my stuff, which is R&D. Okay. So take me through R&D. Uh, tell me a little bit about first about the products you make here at Love's mm-hmm. Oven. So we make baked goods. We do cookies, candies, brownies. And, you know, coming up with new stuff, I look at trends. Like our fall seasonal is coming up. is the pumpkin spice cookie. Jump on that one. We sold like 4,800 of those last year. Is that, a, is that a lot for a product run? That's for a three-month run. Yeah. That's quite a bit. Okay. And I think that one got started late, so we're jumping on it early this year. And for new product lines, like right now I'm working on a nice healthy line that's paleo, keto, and vegan. Paleo, keto, and vegan mm-hmm. cannabis-infused. Cannabis-infused edibles. How If you're coming with a new recipe, what's step one? Step one is just research. What is out there? What do people want? And what are the dispensaries looking for? What do they get questions about? How how are you doing that research? Through our sales. So our salespeople will talk to the dispensaries when they go and deliver and they will say, hey, what's going on? What's new? And they tell me. Do you guys get like market research too? Is there, are there like... 
like companies that you can pay for yeah, there's, to tell you what's hot on the edibles market? Not necessarily what's hot, but what's trending, you know, candies. There's a company called BDS Analytical, and they give us the trends of what we're seeing in the market. Edibles, baked goods versus gummies versus chocolates versus beverages, which I think we're getting into all all of those markets now. So you're you're looking at you're starting with the market research mm-hmm. and trying to figure out okay what do people want to buy. So you land on something. Mm-hmm. Where do you take it from there? I start by making non infused products. So developing anything in this kitchen that's not infused, we can't really take it out to the public and test it because everything in this kitchen has to have marijuana in it. So I rent out a kitchen, a test kitchen, and go play around in that kitchen for a while. So you just start baking? Start baking. Okay. And so you're just trying to figure out something that tastes good, like mm-hmm. a brownie or like a, a cake recipe. Mm-hmm. And you're are, when you're working on that recipe, what is it that you're trying? Because this is obviously not what it's going to taste like in the end, because you're going to be adding cannabis to it, right? Absolutely. So what are you trying to kind of get with that? version of it. Well, I've been doing this for a while. So I'm looking for things that's going to complement the marijuana flavor because we do use a, we use butter, we infuse butter with marijuana. So it does have that distinct marijuana flavor. It's always going to have that. And that's what Love's Oven will always have. But I'm looking for, if I'm wanting something chocolatey, I'm going to use a nice dark 72% chocolate to kind of help not necessarily mask it, but give other fruity flavors in there. And, or if I'm looking for something lighter or something with spices, cinnamon, not cinnamon, apples always go really well with marijuana as well. So you're cooking and then the whole time you're thinking, how is this going to taste with pot mm-hmm. once it's added? Yep. And you're doing that kind of mental, even though you can't, is there any way for you to kind of like simulate that? Or is you, are you just always meant, no, you just have to mentally figure that out. You have to mentally figure that out. And that doesn't come until after we infuse it and that's a process all on its own so do you have so you come up with like prototypes in that other kitchen Mm -hmm. what do you do with those once you like do you have people come in to do taste tests there or yeah i'll usually give it to all my employees make sure it tastes good get everybody's feedback on that do some non-infused runs through our packaging department to make sure that everything would package up properly and do shelf shelf life studies to make sure that the shelf life is going to hold up to our standards. And then when do you finally make a version of that that is actually infused? Probably about six months after that. So do you essentially approve a recipe before you ever infuse it? Sometimes. like We got to make sure that we're not going to have anything go wrong down the line. And not saying that hasn't happened, but we want to keep the consumer safe. So we don't want to have any issues with mold or anything growing on our products. So we want to make sure that happens. But when we do infuse it, we actually have to make the product, get it tested, send it out for um, potency, homogeneity, microbials, pesticide testing, wait for those test results to come back, make another infused batch, send that out to a dispensary and go purchase it before anybody can eat it. So this is something I've heard about. This is like the weird regulatory jumping through hoops you have to do in order to Yay. test your own product. Yep. You have to sell it to someone to buy it back so that your own taste testers can mm-hmm. try it. 
Jesus. <laughs> so when we do inf- start infusing, we want to make sure that we hit the ground running. We want to make sure that, you know, we've done all of our shelf stability testing and make sure that all is good to go before we start infusing it. And because that's where the money is. You have to come up with a nearly finished product mm-hmm. before you ever actually figure out what it's really going to taste like in the end. Yep. That's that's so weird to me. It's just like uh, it's like you're doing this mental map the whole time. Yeah. So when you're in the kitchen building prototypes, is it just you? Is it just you kind of alone baking, or how does that work? Yeah, it's generally just me. I have the uh, I have people there that can answer questions for me. That I can actually send out ingredients and say I want a brownie, and they can make it for me and just give me the formula. But I prefer doing it myself. Because I know what marijuana was going to do. So I just want to try and clarify something. Is the reason why you guys can't infuse any of your baked goods during R&D just like a cost thing? Is it the regulatory thing? Is it just like too much of a headache? Why is it that you have to basically go through almost the entire process without actually adding marijuana to the you know, baklava bite or the brownie? Yeah, so we can. We absolutely can. But... We're not going to be able to taste it. So because we can't eat anything here, we would still have to go through that entire process of testing it, selling it to a dispensary, and purchasing it back. When I'm doing R&D, I'm doing it non-infused. A, I want to taste it, make sure it's good, make sure all the components work together, as well as I don't want to throw away any money. Yeah. And the and it, that would be... As in throwing away money, you mean just using cannabis that's not going to go to a customer, a paying customer? Not just going to a paying customer, but if the recipe doesn't work out, say something happens in the oven and explodes, I'm out that money. I'm out that THC. And THC is expensive. Yes. We were talking a little bit before we started recording and about the fact that you apparently don't have taste buds. Yeah. So you're a chef. How does that work when you're coming up with a recipe? Well, that's the exact reason why I became a chef, actually. Um, In my previous life, I was a mechanic. Okay. I worked on cars. I worked on jet engines. And I was in a bad accident, and I was burned over 35% of my body. And hot antifreeze got into my mouth and burned my taste buds off, completely numbed them. And... After so many years of not being able to taste, not being able to function, I started baking for people and tasting vicariously through them. So when I I would bake for people and they would say, oh, I love this. It needs a little bit more of this and a little bit more of this. And it just stored this information and this knowledge and this data bank of my brain of what things should taste like. And someone told me, you need to go to culinary school. And I did. And, you know, a couple weeks later, I was in school. And six months later, I was working for Thomas Keller in Las Vegas at Bouchon and then Wolfgang Puck. And now I'm the head of this lovely Love's Oven. (laughs) So I I, want to hear a little bit more about your, your story and how you got here. But I, how, I mean, so not... All of taste is your taste buds. Some of it is smell. A lot of it is smell. So how do you experience your own product? Like what of it can you actually sense when you're trying it? So yeah, it's smell. It's 
use all of your other senses. You look at it, you smell it, you texture, the texture of everything that goes in there. Um, you know, if something's too coarse and it's going to bake off weird, you, you can feel it. It's gritty. You can feel the tartness and you can feel the sweetness of things and spicy and everything. You can feel it if you just try not to taste it. So in a way, does not having taste buds maybe help you in, in this line of work? Because so much of it is about mental math. Absolutely. I mean, once you strip everything away, baking is science and marijuana is math. And that's what you have to do. So being a marijuana chef is not making something infused one time. It's making it 10,000 times exactly the same. And you're used to abstracting recipes and thinking about them in a way someone who's just tasting as they go along isn't necessarily. No. So I first and foremost, when I'm doing R&D is how can I recreate this? How is it going to hold up? You know, we're wholesale only. We don't have a storefront. So I want to make sure that the consumer is getting what I'm making as well as getting the safest product they can get. So how how did you end up making the transition to cannabis? You, you said you were working in Thomas Keller's kitchen in mm -hmm. Las Vegas. So how did you actually make that jump? I moved out here um, five years ago just over five years ago. And I was looking into going to work at the Brown Palace downtown. Uh, and, and what's what's is that a restaurant? Or is that a Yeah, it's a one of the oldest hotels here in Denver. So it's really nice. And the gentleman that runs the kitchen there, he worked for the same he worked for Thomas Keller as well, at the same restaurant. So we had a lot in common. At the time, I had my medical marijuana card, and I failed the drug test. So I was like, okay, let's switch gears here. Let's go into the marijuana industry. They could use someone like me. So that's what I did. I looked on Craigslist for marijuana jobs and got hired here almost immediately. And how long ago was that? Five years ago. So what was the first thing you ever made? See, first thing I ever made was Love Bars that we we don't currently have anymore. Hopefully they'll come back because they're fantastic. Uh, they're graham crackers filled with marshmallow dipped in chocolate. Uh, that sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> they're also medical, so they were 225 milligrams. So that sounds really tasty and really, really strong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since then, I just fell in love with the process. I fell in love with this company and the people have really become my family. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Once you've come up with a recipe, what kind of testing does it actually have to go through? So we test for potency and homogeneity to ensure that all the pieces are, all the marijuana in the product is homogenous. Uh, we also test for microbials, mm -hmm. which is, your E. coli, salmonella, 
yeast and molds. Those are our required tests. We do uh, shelf stability testing that includes water activity to ensure that our product is shelf stable. We were talking earlier and you said that you spend basically every morning looking over that data. Yes. So that's a big part of your job, just like checking the numbers each day. Yeah. So how much of your life is spreadsheets? A vast majority. I would say if I were to wake up in the morning, I could spend easily six hours in front of the computer working on spreadsheets. Just tracking data. On, just tracking data. It's just on the tests or what else? What other kind of data are you looking at? Well, it's also yield percentages from because we we take our marijuana trim and we keef it so that we're processing the keef into butter to make very potent butter. And we're using the trim to process into oil for our economical line. What, what does what does keefing mean? Keefing. So you are adding... Let's see. Hopefully I don't butcher this. So we add the marijuana trim with some dry ice and freeze the trichomes and it tumbles in this. It looks kind of like a little dryer and it tumbles and it pulls all the trichomes off. So you're left with this very, very potent, basically concentrate of the marijuana plant. And your trim matter, your other plant matter still has THC in it, but not a lot because you all you pulled a whole bunch off, but we can use that trim and process it into oil that we put in some of our other edibles. Ah, I see. And so, and the keeping that's what goes into the butter. And that goes into the butter. And that's what goes into all the product that you're making to infuse it. Into the Love's Oven products, yep. So you're looking at data on yield percentages. You're looking at data on your on your testing to see if things came back from the lab. Mm -hmm. What else are you looking at? I'm looking at strain information, what strains are producing the most uh, yield and and what genotypes are yielding higher than others. And you're looking at that to figure out what kind of weed you want to buy. Exactly. So you ingest a ton of data and you play around in the kitchen to figure out what you're going to be selling. Play around is not the right phrase. You actually mm-hmm. go and work in the kitchen to do R and D, and like, and so what? I, what else? Are, what are the other like, key parts of your job? Other parts of the job include out of state expansion. So we've been working with a company out in Florida, giving back and forth data, our HACCP plans, recipes, trying to get that catching up and running, as well as working with a company out in Nevada to do the same thing and making sure that once they're up and running, I can go out there and train their staff to make gloves up and products. Other than that, I am all hands on deck helping out wherever I can when I have spare time. And just like in the kitchen. In the kitchen. And back. Are there some kinds of baked goods that are much harder to get right with cannabis than others? Oh, yes. Okay, so what's a challenging baked good? My most challenging baked good, not necessarily a baked good, but my caramels have been super challenging, and they've been the bane of my existence for the past five years. Why are caramels so challenging? That is completely counterintuitive to me, actually. Yeah? Yeah, well, just because you've got like a, a big, you've got a big mix, it seems like you could just mix, I mean, caramels are butter and sugar. So like, that seems like you're just taking the cannabis butter and mixing it with sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why is that the bane of your existence? It, because we have to deal with barometric pressure. We have been dealing with the barometric pressure and adjusting our cooking times for that uh, for the past five years and humidity and the temperature. So if it's like three degrees hotter one day, the caramels will fall apart. So we're constantly adjusting and going back and forth 
making sure that they come out perfect each time. And because we can't throw things away. You can't just remelt it. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, because that's that's expensive. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's very expensive. Very expensive. So is that just a general baking problem? Like, would anybody trying to make a caramel have difficulty? Or is it specific to cannabis? No, I think, you know, it's one thing if you're doing it at home and you're doing, you know, a batch of 20 pieces. You know, we're doing minimum batches of 990 pieces. So having to do this over and over and over again and taking all this into consideration. We anytime there's a fluctuation in temperature or humidity, it really takes a toll on what we need to do in the kitchen and how long it takes. And it's incredible. <laughs> what is the easiest baked good to chocolate chip cookies. Okay. Those are easy peasy. Yeah. Love them. Yeah. Number two seller. So that that's good. That's like your mil- your bread and butter. Oh, is- yeah. Bread and butter. And what makes them so easy? I mean, it's a chocolate chip cookie. It's very simple. Everybody knows how to make a chocolate chip cookie pretty much. And it's just, they come out gorgeous every time. Little tiny seven gram cookies. Talking to you, it doesn't sound like working with the cannabis is actually really the hard part of the job. It sounds like just the baking and getting it right for mass production is the hard part of the job. Is that right? Or Yes and no. I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit jaded because I've been working with it for five years. And, you know, it's just marijuana. We're going to throw some green butter in there. But I think it would be difficult for someone that doesn't necessarily work with it all the time. And mass production is very important because obviously we got to pay the bills. But dealing with the test results and the consistency, you know, we plan for that. We plan for that by having the best staff make those products. You know, I have classically trained pastry chefs in the kitchen. They're all classically trained or? Yes. Oh, really? All the people in the kitchen are classically trained. Where are you hiring them from? Our HR department handles that by putting ads out on Indeed and Craigslist, but generally in the qualifications have to have a degree. So is it like people who went to culinary school or that kind of? Yeah, have multiple years of experience working in kitchens that do wholesale or mass production. So you came at this from a culinary background. Yep. But you're also dealing with a lot of science and a lot of just like kind of manufacturing production stuff with all the data. Is that something you had to kind of learn on the job? Was that tricky at first? Like, did you have to learn how to be a part-time scientist as well? Uh, Yeah, you really did. Uh, or I really did. <laughs> it's, it's on the fly a lot of the times. Back five years ago, it was a very different ball game. And the regulations were different. As a regulation changed in the marijuana industry, you have to change with them. Those that don't change get left behind. And thankfully, with testing and these labs that we work with, it's been amazing to think about, you know, what I was doing back then and how it's progressed and how much I've learned. Well, so like, how's that changed? Well, back in 2013, we didn't have to test anything. So we just threw marijuana into butter and we made products. It wasn't required to test. So like you didn't have to send it to a lab to make sure it was homogenous or that there wasn't some kind of mold in it. Nope. When did that change? Uh, That started changing in 2014. So it was really just Wild West. Wild West. 
Uh, and I was coming into it late in the ballgame. Now it's gone to the opposite end where you have to sell your product to someone else in order to then taste test it. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the case uh, for R&D purposes. Okay. As far as testing goes, you know, it progressed. We had to test the end product to make sure it was in what labeled potency was and mm-hmm. not over the 100 milligrams. And, you know, now everything has to be tested. Every single batch has to be tested. And it's good. It's has, good for the consumer. So has that made your job more data heavy as you've gone along? Has it gone more from the baking to the spreadsheeting? Oh, yeah. So I can tell you how much can be decarboxylated in the oven. Like if I have a if I have a butter that's not fully decarboxylated and there's going to be a certain amount of conversion, I can tell you how much it needs to be converted and how long it's going to take to convert that in a cookie. Whereas before I was just like, oh, you know. Just throw some weed in there and <laughs> <laughs> let's get it done. So it's very interesting to see how that can progress. And with our caramels, it's like how long it cooks can determine the level of conversion if it's converting into CBN from us overcooking because the barometric pressure is too high that day. So it's very interesting. Is the reason why you guys can't... Do you think that someone could get your job that you have now with the knowledge that you had in 2013? Or is it something where you just have to be much more technically adept? You know, I think anything is possible. I, if someone wants to be a marijuana chef, they're they're going to have the, the drive to have that knowledge. But you got to want to work with marijuana. You got to have a passion for it. Because I can tell you, if someone doesn't have a passion for it, they're going to fall flat on their face. What? I mean, that's with baking in general and cooking. So what was it like going from a uh, high-end restaurant kitchen to, you know, a cannabis kitchen? It's a different hierarchy. You have... Less yes chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I came into Love's Oven and there was one other person in the kitchen. And that person did not have any chef experience there there was no wholesale they knew the the marijuana and i learned a lot from that person um when they left i was kind of left holding the bag had never worked with marijuana ever before so it took a lot of research and once i stripped it all away and got it down to the math then it was all over and just figuring out that and the science behind it and so how did you teach yourself the science behind it? You know, the science is the baking. Yeah. And I learned that from uh, the people, the lovely people at Bouchon and the lovely people at Wolfgang. Mm-hmm. And just relating the marijuana as just another ingredient that you're adding. It's just, that's it. Is, is that kind of the key? Is just like thinking of weed as just another ingredient? Absolutely. Even though it's the key ingredient. It's the key ingredient. And then you have... That's what the whole business exists for. Exactly. But it's just another... It's just another ingredient. I mean, you also have... Okay, now you're dealing with strains and genotypes. And what what is that going to do? What's that going to make my product look like? For instance, Pineapple Express makes the butter look nice and golden. Whereas I have a Afghani Kush that makes it look so dark green. It's black. It makes my cookies so green. (laughs) Um, and trying to make it consistent across the board. It's it's a bit of a challenge, but it's fun. Do you get to choose which strains you want, or is it just sort of you have to buy what's available? You know, we work with about five different 
grow operations that we purchase from. We don't have our own our own grow. So a lot of the times it's I get what I get. And then you just have to work around that. And then I work around it. So, you know, with our new processes that we've been doing, like the keefing, uh, we're getting very high potent butter and it's very consistent. Whereas back in the old days in the Wild West, you know, I'd get some butter and it'd be super low potent. I'd get some other butter that was super high and the consistency wasn't there between the products. So everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I mean, what are the other just like random challenges that come up trying to work with weed in a recipe that people might not expect? It makes everything green. I mean, it's so weird that... I go home and or, or I'm at this test kitchen and I'm baking and I'm using non-infused butter, which we call virgin butter, <laughs> and <laughs> and it's not green and it tricks my mind and I'm like, ah, there's something wrong with this. But you know, in the kitchen, it's always green. It's always completely melted. We we start off with melted butter for everything to ensure the homogeneity inside the product. So it's just a challenge. You have to start off with this melted butter and put it in stuff. And like regular, ba- oh, I guess to yeah. clarify, like regular baking, it's not usually with melted butter, right? No, not really. Like, it just depends what method you're going with. But I mean, with cookies, of course not. You don't melt butter to put it in cookies, you know? So I've worked around that. And with like our brownies, we make ganache out of the can of butter and chocolate. And then we put it in our brownies. That's your way of getting around the baking challenge. Exactly. And, you know, just thinking outside the box and understanding that whatever I make, it's going to turn green. <laughs> That's done. It's always going to be green. Is that something that you're you're trying to, like, innovate your way around? The green brownie? Or the, the, the green, like, the green blondie? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, making the butter as potent as possible is a good way because... As the market is maturing, people don't want to taste wheat anymore, which is really weird. They hate the taste of my most favorite ingredient, right? So a lot of companies are switching to distillate, which has no flavor to it, and you can put it in anything. Uh, However, that strips away all terpenes and aspects of the different genotypes. What's a terpene? The terpene is what gives the marijuana its characteristics. So let's say you have a lemon haze, it's going to smell lemony, Mm because it has lemonine in it. And if you have, I keep going back to the citrus, the clementine, it smells orangey. Or there's one that's pine, smells like pine. So it's those different smells. And so companies are switching to these distillates that have no smell, no, none of the terpenes. Mm -hmm. So as basically marijuana is going mainstream, people just don't want to taste the things that you like in it. Yeah. So we, because of our all natural process with the butter, we keep as many of those characteristics as we can. Because, you know, if you like sativa, which typically, not for everybody, but typically will make you more energized and get up and do stuff. Whereas an indica, 
where people say into couch, (laughs) (laughs) where it's going to make you kind of really relaxed. And we want to keep those for the people. And that's something that's all in the in those terpenes and stuff. That's mm-hmm. all as opposed. That's not just the THC. That's, that's the other the other good chemicals that yeah. are in there. And that's what gets kept in the butter as opposed to if you yeah go and use something they've distilled to clear liquid yeah. or. And it's a solventless extraction as well. So it's just literally a two thousand year old like they've been doing this for so many years. Uh, but you just add the butter, add some heat, add the marijuana together, and infuse it, and then extract it out do you worry that the industry seems to be headed towards products you don't necessarily love you know we we do have some products love's oven will always be butter based and have this all natural extraction and there are going to be people that don't necessarily like it but we produce a great product and i will always move forward with whatever i need to to complement the flavor if that's making it more potent so I put less of it in there, which I have. I've heard you. I've heard everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm just going to continue to work for it, work towards making the best product that we can. What is the thing people get wrong about your job most often? They think we are getting high all day and eating our cookies. That's what they think. And it is so far from the truth because that's the worst thing you could do in the kitchen. A, it's illegal. You can't do it. You can't eat anything in the kitchen. Uh, You're getting high on the job and you're dealing with knives and this big machinery all over the place. And it's just, it would be such a bad idea because you're surrounded by munchies. So that you would just get more munchies if you ate them. So we're not getting high at work <laughs> just like at all. getting high in a bakery yeah every it would be disaster disaster would, <laughs> we would not make any money yeah you'd be eating all of your stash yeah <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous do you have like a crew of taste testers that you hand or does everyone try does everyone weigh in like how does that work yeah every single employee is a taste tester so we give them their product and a little form that they fill out. Hopefully they're doing it before it kicks in. So they remember to fill out the form. Just flavor profile. Did you get high? What'd you think of it? Did it look good? All of that stuff. And then they give it back and we get our feedback. But all of our employees are the best market research. Because <laughs> they're, A, they get edibles for free. They get high for free, basically. And they know they're eating edibles all the time anyway, off the clock. And they know what they want. They, they're they in the dispensaries. They're looking for what they like. So I'm going to try to give it to them. So you have your own focus group in-house. Yes. Uh, it's because you all love the product. Yes. So that's, that's sort of a blessing. They're all my taste buds. <laughs> you said earlier that people don't necessarily do well in this industry unless they're really passionate about marijuana. I'm curious what makes you so passionate about it. For me, I I have a passion to help people and I want to make people happy. You know, getting into the culinary business and baking was for a way for me to make people happy and to taste vicariously through them. I got into the marijuana industry because you know, after struggling with depression and mental health issues, marijuana helped me as a tool to 
get onto a better track with my life. I know, getting onto a drug too. (laughs) You know, it's medicine. It's medicine. And it really helped me get into this passion of helping people and making people happy. And marijuana makes people happy, especially edibles for at least six hours. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we make 70,000 pieces a week. So that's... 70,000 doses of happiness. And if you don't really feel that way about the product, you're not going to want to deal with the headaches, I guess, all the regulatory headaches and stuff that come with working in the... I feel like if you're just in it for the money, if you're, oh, I'm going to get into the weed business and become a legal drug dealer, that's not the right way. You really have to have something else. And I think everybody in this business that has stuck around really has this core of wanting to help people. And, you know, I hear these stories of people that are taking, using marijuana for cancer treatments or veterans for PTSD. And it really touches me that they can have a little bit of happiness. And it's because of my product. That's it for this episode of Working. As always, I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you have any comments or questions, please send us an email at working at slate.com. Also, if you enjoyed the episode, please encourage you to leave a review at Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, a special thank you to Justin D. Wright for our ad music and to my incredible producer, Jessamyn Molly, without whom I would be a total wreck on this show. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and uh, come back next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.